If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're all having a great weekend. Uh, it's been, what, three days? So obviously, there's been about 20 breaking stories since then. Lots of things to cover, but there's a few of them that I want to focus on in this video. One of them is that Boeing has suspended its dividend. So this is the first company in my portfolio to suspend its dividend amongst this downturn. They're blaming it on the coronavirus. I'm going to explain why that's not the blame of them cutting their dividend. That's a convenient excuse for them. And I'm going to explain why I'm selling the company and what I'm doing with the proceeds of that sale. So we'll be going over that. We have Senator Richard Burr. He's under a lot of heat, a lot of people calling for his resignation. Really what he did, he authored some material that reassured the general public he went into a lot of different private briefings that showed the severity of the coronavirus that the general public wasn't really privy to. And then he proceeded to sell what is likely a significant portion of his net worth. So this timeline of events, we're going to look into it, see if we're missing any details, and see if the calls for his resignation are justified or not. Now, of course, before going into any of that, we have to take a look at my portfolio. Friday, we had what started out as an optimistic day. The market started out like 1% in the green. We had some bad news come out as per usual, but the market decided to stay in the green. It was pretty amazing. We had bad news come out and investors didn't rush out and sell everything. And there was a thought that it might actually stay in the green the whole day, which was quickly erased at the end of the trading day when the market went down about 4%. So I don't even know if that's a big drop anymore. We've had so many days where the market's dropped 10% that now 4% looks like a mild to moderate drop. But either way, that's what happened on Friday. And the past week has been historic in how much the market has dropped. It's been record-breaking, the amount that it's dropped. Now, I've mentioned this many times in the past. My portfolio is called Passive Income. That's the name of it. It's not named Capital Growth. The goal of this portfolio is to create a growing stream of passive income. That's the goal of it. Now, like I've shown, I've tracked this month over month. You can see the growth of this stream of income over time since January of 2018, the growth of my dividend and interest. And the past couple of months has been pretty high. So I have months where it's $192, $163. In December, it was $353. So I've been growing this stream of income, which is paid out through dividends and interest in my portfolio. And then it's reinvested back into my portfolio to compound it as quickly as possible. That's been the goal of this. Now, the capital gains, this number right here, it doesn't really affect that goal all that much. The market going up and down doesn't affect it too much. In fact, if the market went down but my companies continued to pay dividends, that would actually speed up the growth of my passive income. That would mean that I'm able to buy what are normally expensive dividend companies, ones that you have to pay quite a bit for. Now I'm able to buy them at a much cheaper price. And if they continue to pay their dividends, I'll get a much higher yield and I'll increase my passive stream of income a lot quicker. So in some ways, the market going down actually speeds up the growth of your passive income. In other ways, it can be very destructive to the growth of your passive income. And that is if companies cut their dividends. If they say we're not paying our dividend for another year or two, that is something that really does work against my goal. I own 47 dividend paying companies. Those are 47 equity holdings that at any time they could announce that they're suspending or cutting their dividend. So this is something that I've warned about that this downturn is going to cause some companies in my portfolio to cut their dividend, to suspend it. It's just unavoidable. I have companies that have not really anticipated this type of threat. 
They anticipate competition. They even anticipate a slowing down of the economy. But this is a completely unique threat that is something you see like once every 40 or 50 years. So a lot of the companies I've invested in are simply not set up for something like this. You have companies like Disney that have closed all their parks, shut down all their cruise lines. They have troubles with their production right now. Pretty much the only thing they have is a streaming service. So there's a lot of companies that are normally robust and diversified companies that have everything shut down right now. Now, in a fate of what I would call poetic irony, Boeing is the first one to announce that it's suspending its dividend. And the reason that I say that that's some poetic irony is if you're a longtime listener of this show and you've watched the second or third episode, Boeing is one of the companies that I outline is a company that I can't even see having a hiccup. I said that I don't think this company could have a hiccup. At the time, no planes had crashed. At the time, Boeing was a company that had paid dividends steadily for decades. It was a company that had five years of backlogged orders. It's a duopoly. Their only competitor is really Airbus. And Airbus at the time also had like five years of backlogged orders. They have a ton of business, a lot of backlogged orders. They've been paying dividends for decades. They manufacture something that's very difficult to get into that industry. You can't just have a couple million dollars as a startup and get into manufacturing commercial airliners. So in my thought process, looking at this company and the moat that it had, the amount of business that it had and the, the future that it had, I really couldn't comprehend how this could happen to this company. But here we are. It's been doing nothing but facing problems, and it's finally suspended its dividend. In a report from the Wall Street Journal, it says Boeing said it would suspend its dividend for shareholders joining a growing number of U.S. companies trying to save cash amid the coronavirus. The Chicago Playmaker, which spent $4.6 billion on dividend payouts last year, is seeking at least $60 billion in financial help from the private sector, as well as taxpayer support, for itself, suppliers, and the broader aerospace sector. Quote, Boeing is drawing on all of its resources to sustain operations, support its workforce and customers, and maintain supply chain continuity throughout the COVID-19 crisis and for the long term, the company said. Now, if you've been watching my show for a while, you know that I've been covering Boeing for the past year. I've been following along with this company and the trail of self-destruction that it's done to itself. So I don't buy this excuse at all, that they're blaming this on the coronavirus. That's the reason that they're cutting their dividend. That's the reason that they need government money is because of the coronavirus. What a bunch of baloney. This company has caused this themselves. Just to give you a little bit of a history lesson if you're not cut up. I'll do a really condensed version of it. Boeing competes with Airbus. Airbus came out with a more fuel-efficient engine. The engine had to be bigger in size. Airbus planes have more room underneath the wing to be able to place that engine. So Airbus put the engine underneath the wing, and all the aerodynamics of the plane were the same. The pilots really didn't have to change anything up. Boeing wanted to do the same thing for competitive reasons. They came out with an equally efficient engine. The problem is there's not as much room underneath the wing. They can't fit it under the wing. So what they did was they moved the engine forward and upwards, more on top of the wing than underneath it. What that did is had some kind of aerodynamic effect of making it so that the plane would have its nose go up. And if that goes undetected, it could lead you into a stall. So the fundamental design of the 737 MAX had some issues. And the way that they chose to solve that issues was with software, something called the MCAS. The MCAS was a software system that would detect if the plane was going in a nose-up position, and then it would automatically adjust the tail to be able to put the plane back in a horizontal nose-down position. 
The issue was Boeing designed this in such a ridiculously incompetent way that if one sensor out of the two wasn't working or giving incorrect data, it continued to put the plane in nose down position. And it continued to do it repeatedly, even if the pilot was pulling up on the plane. So on the sides of the nose of the plane, there's two angle of attack sensors. If one of those was hit by a bird or stuck in a certain angle, that means that the plane's reading was that it was in a nose-up position when it really wasn't. So the software was repeatedly angling the plane in a nose-down position. The pilot would be fighting with it, pulling back on the trim, trying to get the plane back up, but they were fighting with the software that went over and over again until the plane would crash. So that's the MCAS system that Boeing originally designed. They had one plane go down, and instead of grounding all the other 737 MAXs after the first one crashed and figuring out why it crashed, they just said that it must have been a pilot error. They kept the planes flying. And then you had a second plane of that same fleet go down in similar fashion in the exact same way right after takeoff, just like the first one. And then they still tried to keep the planes in the air after the second one went down with the same fleet and the same patterns. And then after a ton of pressure, they finally took all the planes down. They figured out that it was a software mistake that was completely Boeing's issue, and they tried to blame it on foreign pilot error. The former CEO was fired after public pressure and after it was revealed how much mismanagement went on with the company. There's millions of dollars being paid out to the victims' families of the two plane crashes. And at the same time, Boeing's best-selling airliner right now is sitting in parking lots, not only not making any money, but costing the company billions of dollars a month. So... What I'm trying to say is this is not the story of a company that everything was going good for, everything was hunky-dory, it was all well-ran, and then the coronavirus came along and wrecked everything. That's not the story of Boeing. They had their own issues. They had their own internal mismanagement, self-inflicted pain. They had bad design. They had public reputation problems. They created a black eye for the company. They created a lot of mistrust. These were all issues they were facing before the coronavirus. And then the company right now is asking for tens of billions of dollars from taxpayer support saying that they just want to get through this COVID-19 crisis. It's just a coronavirus. That's why we're asking the taxpayer for our support right now, this unexpected coronavirus. Give me a break. I don't buy it at all. This is completely self-inflicted. The taxpayer should know that the issues Boeing is facing right now are self-inflicted wounds. The coronavirus did not design a flawed MCAS system. The coronavirus did not push to have all the planes in the air after having one of them crash without investigating it. The coronavirus didn't decide to do massive share buybacks for the past year instead of retaining that cash so that they have more capital on hand right now. None of that was because of a virus. So like I said, for the companies that suspend or cut their dividends during this downturn, I'm going to be taking it on a case-by-case basis of whether I sell that company or whether I hold it. Now, it may not surprise you, but I'm going to be selling Boeing. So I put in a sell order Uh, Monday morning, it's going to be sold out of it. Really, I don't have much money left in it. At one point, I had like 600 bucks in it. Right now, it's $185. So it's not really much money left. With the realized losses there, I'll be able to write that off on taxes. That will offset any dividends that I earn. So I won't be paying much taxes with it. And with the remainder of this cash, I'll be rolling it into other companies that really have just been a lot better managed. Companies like Lockheed Martin, Union Pacific Corporation, Waste Management, These are companies that have not made the same decisions as Boeing. They don't have the same internal issues. So I feel fine rolling this money into these other companies. And for the big percentage loss that I've taken on Boeing, these companies are down a lot too. So selling at a low isn't quite as bad when you're also buying at a low. 
that's not as big of an issue. And these companies have come down a lot in value, but they continue to pay dividends. So this is something where Boeing might come back up in, in share value, but right now I'm going to be selling out of it. Now, as far as my passive income goes, uh, this won't really hurt it all that much at all because Boeing made up a small portion of my portfolio. The overall income that it generated in dividends, according to Simply Safe Dividends, was around 0.5% of my overall dividend income. And the money's not going to be cashed out. This $185 will be reinvested at these other companies that pay dividends. So the overall effect of my passive income should be very minor. Now, the next piece of news that I have to talk about, this is very big news, causing a lot of buzz, people very upset about it. Senator Richard Burr sold a fortune in stocks as the GOP, and I would say more specifically, Richard Burr, played down the coronavirus threat. So he had some published pieces where he reassured the general public saying that the U.S. can handle this. It was a message of positivity and reassurance. And then he went on a little bit later to sell almost his entire net worth worth of stocks. So like 700000 to a million and a half dollars worth of stocks. Now, before making any kind of judgments on this, I wanted to actually go in with, with mostly what I could with an unbiased kind of blind perspective and just see his point of view, the, the arguments that he's making and what the people that are critical of them and saying that this is suspicious, what they're saying. So let's try to create a little bit of a timeline here. We're looking at his Twitter feed here. So this is Senator Burr. On February 7th, he tweeted out, Congress built a strong emergency response framework designed to be flexible and innovative. So we are not only ready to face the coronavirus today, but new public health threats in the future. Just a couple days after that, he tweeted about an op-ed that he wrote. Here's the op-ed. It's in Fox News. The title of it is Coronavirus Prevention Steps the U.S. Government is Taking to Protect You. Now, I want to read just one part of this. Keep in mind, it was published February 7th. He says, in an attempt to stop the spread of the virus, China has locked down 16 cities where an estimated 45 million people live. Last week, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus outbreak a global health emergency. And the United States, along with Singapore, Australia, and Indonesia, all took the rational step of temporarily barring foreigners who have been to China in the last two weeks from entering the country. Thankfully, the United States today is better prepared than ever to face emerging public health threats, like the coronavirus, in large part due to the work of the Senate Health Committee, Congress, and the Trump administration. So I read through the whole op-ed, and this is pretty much the basic message that it shares. One of reassurance, one of uh, uh, preparedness that we can handle this, that the U.S. has taken lots of steps to be ready for this. That's the type of message that he was sharing February 7th. And then we find out afterwards that he sold stock mid-February. Says the stocks were sold in mid-February, days after Mr. Burr, Republican of North Carolina and the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, wrote an opinion piece for Fox News suggesting that the United States was better prepared than ever to confront the virus. So we know February 7th, he authored that piece of reassurance, the Fox article there. And then a few days later, he sold out pretty much all of his stock, likely over a million dollars, which is a substantial portion of his net worth. He took all of that out of the stock market. Now, my question beyond this was, well, did he gain new information and update his opinion? Did he tell people that, hey, you shouldn't be quite as reassured now. This is going to be a big hit. You know, this is going to be a really big problem. You might want to start saving money. You might want to be a little concerned about it. Did he share any of that with the public? Well, I went ahead and read through all of his Twitter feed, and I couldn't find any type of message where he says, maybe you should be concerned. I couldn't find anything where he adjusted or updated his opinion on what was going on. After selling what is the majority of his stock, his net worth, he didn't seem to update the public from that point of reassurance. 
Even going into March, the messaging didn't change all that much. And then we hear about this. NPR obtained this private audio. It's from February 27th. So this is where he shares a little bit more candid thoughts of the subject to a private audience here. There's one thing that I can tell you about this. It is much more aggressive in its transmission than anything that we have seen in recent history. It's probably more akin to the 1918 pandemic. On February 27th to this private group, he says that it's aggressive in its transmission, more than anything that we've seen, and that it's akin to the 1918 pandemic. So that's his real thoughts on the subject that he's sharing to a private group there. It's weird, though. On his Twitter feed, I don't see that message being shared to the general public. Now, we also know that before he sold any stock, that he was part of these private briefings, these really confidential briefings where presumably he had access to some information that other investors didn't have access to. I don't know because I wasn't there, but you could make that assumption. Now, he's being pressed on this. Obviously, a lot of people are upset, calling for his resignation, really on both sides of the aisle. So Republicans and Democrats alike are really pressing him on this. Here's his official statement on it. He says, I relied solely on public news reporting to guide my decisions regarding the sale of the stock on February 13th. Specifically, I closely followed CNBC's daily health and science reporting out of its Asia bureaus at the time. Understanding the assumption many could make in hindsight, however, I spoke this morning with the chairman of the Senate Ethics Committee and asked him to open a complete review of the matter with full transparency. So there you have it. He's saying that he followed CNBC's Asia reporting at the time, and that's where he made his decision to sell. Now, in reality, I don't know why he sold that stock. I don't know if it was based off of private information in those briefings that he got, if that's what really pushed him to sell, or it really could have been the CNBC Asia channel. He could have been watching the news and been like, well, this is going to come over to the US, so I want to sell now. It could have been either of those reasons. I can't go into Richard Burr's head and figure out why he sold that stock. I don't know whether it was based off of private information or public information. And I don't think anybody else can either. And it brings up questions of whether or not Congress members should be able to trade stock the same way that the public can. So that's something that's going to be debated because of this. But something that is clear to me is that he did sell almost his entire net worth in stock while relaying a message of reassurance to the general public. That type of two-faced dishonesty should never be allowed in Congress. It's completely ridiculous that you'd have somebody so concerned about what's going to happen to the U.S. economy that they sell out of everything, and meanwhile they're relaying a message of reassurance to the general public. That's not somebody that I would want as a representative. So that's where this is at right now. I'll keep following the story, see how it develops over time, and see what happens with Senator Burr, but that's pretty much the basics of it right now. And then there's one article that I had to quickly mention, because this one is about the differences between what most common retail investors are doing and what the world's richest people are doing. It says the world's richest spend $1 billion on, quote, bargains of a lifetime. These are people like Carl Icahn, Bill Ackman, Warren Buffett, and a few other wealthy people. It says some of the wealthiest people spent more than $1 billion combined to boost their stake in companies as markets around the world tumbled. Equity indexes across the globe have plummeted in recent weeks, largely over the uncertainty about the long-term impact of the coronavirus outbreak. Some airlines and retail mall operators have lost more than half their value. But corporate executives, board members, and large shareholders have been buying stock in their companies at the largest rate relative to sales since 2011. Some, like Bill Ackman, are optimistic that equities will rebound quickly as long as measures to halt the spread of the virus are strengthened and ultimately prove successful. Quote, these are bargains of a lifetime if we manage this crisis correctly, says Ackman. So this is what I look at. You have a breakdown of two different groups here. You have the world's richest, like Carl Icahn, Warren Buffett, and Bill Ackman, and they're doing some buying right now. 
That's what they're doing. It doesn't say that they're all fleeing and moving to cash. These guys are taking advantage of this. And then you have another group of people that are mostly retail investors that are panicking right now, moving to cash as quickly as possible. So when I decide what group that I want to try to emulate, I'm going to go ahead and follow the people that have been able to make a lot of money during their lifetime. I'm going to try to emulate as much as possible what Carl Icahn has done. Neither of them have perfect answers. He can't see the future. He doesn't know how long this is going to last. He likely has the exact same information that you do about the future and what direction this is going. But even with that information, he's choosing to look at a lot of holdings, try to pick the ones that have really strong balance sheets and buy more of them. So that's a choice each investor can make. A lot of downturns in the past, the investors that bought during the downturn, a little bit before the bottom or a little bit after the bottom, they typically made out pretty good on that. Now, the last thing that I wanted to look at are these three different charts here. I think it's good to look at history, see what we can learn from these previous declines and try to get some basic information for what we might be in for. Because... A lot of people are thinking that this might turn around really quickly, that we might be able to get through this virus, and then next thing you know, the stock market will be on its way up. But judging by previous declines, you might want to get a little bit comfy. You might want to settle in because we could be here for quite a while. So let's go ahead and take a look at the first one. In 1987, Black Monday, it was a negative 36% decline. That was over a period of two months. So that was a pretty quick 36% decline. Months to recover, 22 so it took almost two years to get back up to the point where it previously was. Two months to decline, almost two years to recovery. 2001 to 2002, the downturn following the 9-11 attacks. The total decline was 38%. That is a 33-month decline. That's almost three years in decline. And then it took 48 months to get back up to the point where it was. I can't imagine being in a downturn for three years. That would be very difficult. I think that would weigh on you a lot. But that's what happened in 2001 and 2002. In 2008, the financial crisis, a negative 54% decline spanning over a 17-month period. The total time to recover back up to the point where it was, was 48 months. That is a very long time for the Dow to get back up to where it was. So looking at these different declines here, obviously everything that we face is different in a way. The, the functions of it are a little bit different. None of these were pandemics. One of them was a, a crisis with banking. Black Monday, we don't really understand fully the reasons why it dropped so quickly, but it did. And then, of course, we had the terrorist attacks in 9-11. That's what caused the drop of 38%. So all of them had different reasons. Everybody was scared, thinking this was the end of the stock market for XYZ reason at the time. And people view this one the same. So every time it's a different thing causing it, but every time the economy has eventually healed, we have eventually came back from it. But the periods of time can vary greatly. One of the declines took two months. That's a pretty quick decline. One took 33 months. That's a very long decline. That would be really difficult to go through. So we don't know how quickly this decline will be or when the stock market will start to turn around. It could be like this one, 1987. It was going down for two months and then it turned around. Or it could be like 2001 where it declined for 33 months straight. That would be pretty difficult. Going through a bear market that's almost three years long, that would be pretty tough to do. So you'd have to have a lot of mental control over your decisions you're investing doing that. But either way, the thing that I do know is the people that stayed invested and especially continued to invest at these lower points. The lower it went, the more that they invested. Those are the people that ended up making the most money from them. Everybody that sold out along the way down and waited for it to have a complete recovery before buying back in, they didn't do quite as well as the people that purchased at the low points. So that's what I plan on doing here. We're working with very imperfect information. Even these type of historical gauges, they tell us something to look at, but they don't give us any definitive answers. The thing that we learned the most from this is that we might be in this for a little while. So it's 
it's good to pace yourself. It might take a while for us to get back up to the point that we were. Okay, now let's go ahead and move on to some emails. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. Pascal says, hey, Joseph, big thanks for your content. I love it. Please keep on posting it. It's pretty much all the news that I consume about the stock market. I appreciate that, Pascal. He says, I was wondering about the impact of the viruses on the stock market in the future. Assuming the number of people on the planet will keep on rising and the percentage of people living in cities will rise too, it's safe to say that we're going to see pandemics more often because it's more likely that viruses will mutate in a bad way if it infects more people and viruses will be able to spread more effectively as the density of people rises. Measures like the ones taken in France and Italy already, lockdown should have been happening more often. Do you think it's worth the time factoring such things into our portfolio distribution? buying more Disney and Amazon stocks proportionately. Best regards from an infected German. Okay, Pascal. Well, I hope that you're joking about being infected, but in the off chance that you are, I hope that you get well soon with that. Now, to answer your question, you're saying that you think that pandemics will happen more often. So it's something that we might want to factor into our investing. Now, I will say that I did not factor at all, even a little bit, even a smidget, the possibility of this happening into my investments. The possibility of a highly contagious virus that becomes a pandemic that shuts down people from going out to different businesses, and it specifically targets elderly people. That wasn't something that I factored in in the slightest in any of my holdings. I've explained over and over again the type of things that I've been looking at when investing in businesses. Their balance sheet, if they have a diversified revenue stream, if they have what I considered a margin of safety, meaning they're very hard to compete with, and that they have multiple aspects to their business, you list one off like Disney. Disney's a good example of a business that I thought could have never had something like this happen. So you take Disney, they have different parks. All of those are shut down. They have cruise lines. Those are completely shut down. They have hotels and resorts. Those are shut down. So a huge chunk of their business is completely shut down. Their production companies where they make movies, those are all being delayed because nobody can go to the movie theaters. So one of their movies that was out for like two weeks is already being moved to their streaming service. Pretty much the only thing that Disney has going for them right now is their streaming service. So this is a company that traditionally would have this vastly diversified business model where I would have considered it a very large moat, something that would be very difficult to compete with. But now the majority of their business can't even operate. It's not even open. So This is something that I didn't factor in at all. And there's even some holdings that are highly exposed to this. I have a lot of senior housing REITs. These are real estate companies that house elderly people. And we have a virus that's particularly dangerous towards elderly people. And of course, I have Simon Property, a mall REIT, which is a a company that owns over 100 malls. People can't even go to malls right now. So these are companies that already have competition. Simon Property was already facing the threat of online shopping and other competition like that. But now this virus has been something that has completely closed their doors for the time being. So there's a lot of companies that I think under semi-normal circumstances, even during a normal recession, 2007 and 2008, that was a really bad recession, but you can still go to the mall in a normal recession. So this is different. It's not something that I really factored into any of the holdings that I have, but you're seeing how this is affecting the different companies. So I say that I haven't factored a pandemic into my investment decisions. That's not something that I did when I built this portfolio. It wasn't a part of my criteria. And the question is, should I have? And will I in the future? The answer is no. That's not something I'm going to be factoring into my investment decisions. There's a couple different reasons. First of all, 
This is something that I think will happen very infrequently and something that I think that we'll get better at dealing with in the future. We'll probably have better ways of coming up with vaccines more efficiently. We'll share data from country to country better with each other, and we'll be able to hone in on the techniques that worked from the previous pandemic. So even if this does happen again, I think that we'll be better off than the first time. But the bigger thing that I'm actually going to focus on and factor in more into my investments is not the chance of pandemic because likely the big thing that will happen next time will be something different. It won't be another pandemic of a virus that spreads the exact same way. That's probably not going to be the situation. It will probably be something different. So what I'm going to factor in more strongly is balance sheets, the balance sheet of the company. How much money do they have? How much fixed expenses do they have? So those are things I'm going to be factoring into my investments a lot more. The balance sheet, the cash on hand, how resilient the company is. So I've tried to do that with my portfolio. Hopefully most of the companies will be able to live through this, but I am worried about a couple, but we'll see what happens with the severity of this downturn. Okay, Chris says, hello, Joseph. In your most recent episode, episode 79, you mentioned that there will be dividend cuts across a lot of companies as a result of this bear market. Your previous policy has been that if a company cuts their dividend, you will no longer hold that company. Will you maintain this policy throughout the downturn or will you modify it on a case-by-case basis? I've enjoyed your show for a while and really appreciate that you are showing the red days in your portfolio because it is surprisingly hard to find and helps to keep myself motivated. Well, I'm glad you like the show, Chris, and I'm going to continue to show the portfolio when it's in the red, even if it continues to go in the red. So if it gets cut in half with this downturn, if we go down another 30%, I'll continue to show it. Now, make no mistake, I'm going to build this thing back up until we're well into the green. So It might take a year. I can't control the economy or how quickly we get back on our feet, but eventually the economy is going to recover. I'm going to be investing this whole time. I have a very long investment horizon in front of me, so it might take a little bit, but we'll get this thing back in the green. Now, to answer your question on my dividend policy, whether I'm going to sell every company that cuts its dividend or take it on a case-by-case basis, this is such a unique niche situation with this virus. The the effects that it has had are so incredibly uh, unique that I feel like I have to take it on a case-by-case basis here. So I look at it and there's companies in two different situations. There's ones where you have your diversified portfolio, things are good, the economy's going along, we're in a bull market, and then one of your companies just cuts its dividend because it's just having business problems, management problems, different issues with competition, and it can't pay out its shareholders. In that case, I'll most likely sell the company. But you have a situation like this where a lot of businesses that were actually doing just fine, like Disney, like Simon Property. These companies that were making acquisitions, they had lots of business, they had lots of revenue. And now the government with this virus has prevented people from even being able to visit their business. That is an extenuating circumstance. That is something out of their control. Yes, companies should have some reserve savings, but even conservatively, well-managed companies do not anticipate having zero revenue for what could be multiple months. That's just something that even a well-ran, responsible company can't possibly anticipate. So it's just unrealistic to say, hey, you have to continue to pay out shareholders when we can't even visit your store, when we can't even go to your business. But I expect you to maintain your dividend and pay me out. The company's saying, well, we don't have any customers. How are we supposed to pay out our shareholders? We have no business. We have no revenue. So this is such an odd situation. I think that on a lot of the companies that I own, if they decide to suspend their dividend for however long until we get back on our feet here, I think I'll likely hold most of them. The reason that I'm selling Boeing is I just listed out a laundry list, a whole history of what I think is 
poor judgment, bad decisions, incompetence, poor design, lots of issues that they caused. The coronavirus, granted, did not help their situation, did not make anything better, but I certainly don't think it was their only problem, and I don't even think it was their biggest problem. I think that Boeing had bigger problems than this virus. So that's the reason that I'm selling that company. But if Disney decided to hold on to their dividend until they get past this and they can open back up their parks, I am not going to sell Disney because of that. They couldn't have possibly anticipated this. And likewise with other companies as well that were doing things right. They were running their business responsibly. And then this happened. So definitely throughout this downturn, I'm going to be taking it on a case by case basis. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and leave it there. Good luck, everybody, with this week. It's going to be pretty crazy. I'm sure that we're going to have another 50 breaking news items in a couple of days. So I'll keep in touch. I appreciate everybody that leaves comments, shares the video that's involved in all of this. So thanks, everybody that does that. But I'll be talking to you soon.